you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. I want to say, I, I know I've, I've said it publicly on Friday night, but I want to give a special thanks to this church. For the past four years, I've been honored with the privilege of leading our section there's a lot of youth rallies where I have to lean on a lot of people if I want things to happen. And a lot of people gave me their word and a lot came from this church and they honored that word. And I want to say thank you to this church. Thank you for giving of yourselves freely. Amen. I could not have done it without brother and sister Lytle. I couldn't have done it without my wife, and I couldn't have done it without the support of this church. And I also want to give honor to my pastor. I know he's not here. I don't know if he'll hear this or not, but I thank God for a man of God in my life I can call my covering. I can submit to him honorably. Thank God for my pastor. Amen. If you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it reads like this. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon uh, them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy, the joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. I want to preach for just a few moments tonight. Capernaum's finest hour. If you close your Bibles, and if we, I know the presence of God is here, but if we could just recognize him and just give him some praise tonight and some worship and ask him to have his way. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. God, I pray you'd have your way tonight, Lord, in everything that comes out of my mouth, Lord. I know I felt your presence. God, I know you woke me with this, God. You've anointed this word, Lord. I pray your hand would be upon it, Lord, and upon us tonight. God, let us hear what you would have for this church. For this day, this hour, and this time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, Capernaum's finest hour, and then you may be seated. Of all the tribes of Israel, we read and we know so much about Judah, 
We know about Simeon and Reuben and Levi, and we even heard of Gad and Ephraim and Manasseh, who weren't even children of Israel, but almost grandchildren. We know of these tribes, but then there are these two named Zebulun and Naphtali. All we know is that they two together are the first defeated when Assyria attacks. Of all 12 tribes, they seem to be the least, the losers, the failures, the ones that tried so very hard, yet the Bible mentions almost nothing about them. In fact, one says simply that they gave 50,000 men to serve David, and that is it. That's not a lot to record. I don't know about you, but tonight I know what I felt in my spirit. I want to just preface this message a little bit tonight. I have been woken and stirred with what God laid on my heart. I tried to take a nap on Saturday morning just for a minute. We got home late. I couldn't even nap. God woke me with these two names in particular. He laid stuff on. I'm like, okay. Okay, Zebulun and Naphtali. I know, and I want you to go with me on this little journey. It's us. We are Zebulun and Naphtali in some ways. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like you lost a war? You ever felt like you're the reason that your family suffers or your family doesn't succeed? Or maybe you're the reason that failure has happened in your life and in genealogy and in generations. You're the reason. Maybe you feel like you've got a 401k that really looks more like a 200.5k. Retirement's getting close, but the money's not there. You don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe you've got kids that have walked away from God. Maybe you weren't able to have kids. Maybe you weren't able to keep a marriage together. Maybe you never caught that break in life. You struggle with winning anything. Things seem to go from bad to worse, and some of us have truly been grievously afflicted and vexed. Am I in the right church tonight? It's okay to acknowledge the scars of war. Some of us wear the injuries of battle. It's almost like watching veterans come home when we come to church on Sunday, some spiritually without a leg, some missing an arm, some trying their best to put everything together they can to just serve God. God tells us and he shows us, and I want to, again, I'm I'm always a little strange, so you have to go with me, but I want to show you through God's creation how we can see this a little bit. So I want to talk to you about lobsters I'm going to get somewhere, but just hang on with me for a minute. Scientists say that because of how the neurons in the lobster's brain works and the simplicity of their nervous system, they can be mapped and they act the same in almost every circumstance. Every bit of them. They're predictable. In fact, throughout the animal kingdom, we see so many things that are repetitive uh, and predictable. Certain animals will duplicate their actions time and time again. We all know the bigger the bird usually wins the fight. Chickens really do have a pecking order. <laughs> you look in a coop, and we all think it's funny, like everyone knows the, the head rooster in this. That, no, they have an order. If somebody goes and decides to eat number three, number four knows he just moved up. That's where we get that from. It's because even in the kingdom of God or in the animal kingdom and everything he's made, he has made some order. The truth is you can, and some of you young people might try this, just don't. But you can record a songbird's beautiful song and then play it back to them and then you will have a kamikaze bird on your hands because everything's about territory. 
Everything's about defense and trying to make it all the better. In fact, I read that there were two neighbors. They both had birdhouses. The one wanted to have a wren. They really liked wrens, and they wanted to build a house specifically for a wren. If you don't know what a wren is, it's a tiny bird. So you build a tiny house. The neighbor wanted bigger birds, so they had like a big old boot that they would form out into a house, and they both built these birdhouses. The first neighbor got the wren. It was amazing. The wren comes, and they're just so happy. This is so beautiful. And they thought, well, man, I hope that bird is safe there. It, looks, it just nestles right inside there. Surely they won't go and mess with the big bird's house because that's their house. Wrong. The wren decides to go next door and pack the birdhouse of the neighbors. So now the wren has two houses. Territory is what matters. In our world, a lot of times we find people that uh, want to attack us, and most of all, we know our biggest adversary. It's never flesh and blood that we wrestle, but it's principalities and powers. It's, it's truly stuff that uh, the devil and, and all of evil that tries to keep us down, wounded and afflicted from our pain. And that's why I wanted to talk specifically about lobsters. They have the same desires to protect uh, them as we do for our homes. In fact, in warfare, they have a four-step pattern that is predictable. If you don't know about lobsters, they all obviously have a hard shell, and there comes a time when they want to grow. They can't just keep their old shell if they want to grow. They have to shed it and hide under rocks until their body forms a new layer. But when it comes time to fight, things have changed. Even in its first battle, they say that a lobster will back up and look like a boxer. Claws up, tails up, things are flaring. They're looking mean and lean at each other. And they say that the lobsters will somehow employ this jet flow of air through their eyes and it will release chemicals and, and a scent to the, the other lobster. So both lobsters are pushing scents back and forth of each other and that's how they determine gender, size, south pole, reach. Everything about this lobster, is this going to be a fair fight or not? And usually step one will let somebody back off and say, okay, we're not going to fight. We'll live to fight another day. If that didn't work and all of a sudden you've got mixed signals or you think we're going to take each other, step two happens. They say that their antennas will whip madly at each other in an unstopping motion and they'll just try their best to whip and they'll say one will advance, the other retreats. And when that's done, the other one will advance and retreat and they'll go back and forth almost in a dance. It's beautiful, isn't it? Lobsters. And they'll say if that doesn't work, then they say the first major contact has to happen. In this third step, they will try to flip each other on their back and whoever the first successful one to flip the other one on the back, they think this typically ends a fight. They know if I can get you on your back, that you probably will be in a lot worse condition if we continue. But some lobsters just don't get it. So they flip back over and then come step four. They say that if the fight continues, it's time uh, to inflict an everlasting pain. They will use those wonderful claws and they will grab anything that sticks out, whether an eye, an antenna, a leg. And they say that as soon as they get a hold of that, they'll use their tail and thrust trying to rip apart the other lobster. When this happens, something deep has happened to the lobster. This is truly where it starts. They say once defeated, no matter how aggressive the lobster that lost a limb was, it is forever changed. They say that it will uh, never have an endless shame and embarrassment. It will take hold and feel absolutely condemned for life. 
They say it's so traumatic that for the simple mind of this lobster, it cannot go from king to bottom dog, uh, bottom dog without its brain virtually going through complete disillusion and regrowth. That's what a lobster does. It's everlasting in its scars. A story of failed confidence for myself was always throwing. I don't want to tell you about too much, you know, uh, whatever. I want to relate just a little bit. I, I don't know about you, but let me just talk about the, the physical for a minute. There's times where in our lives we very much know uh, when we've been beaten. And it will begin to affect us. Uh, some of you, the thought of public speaking will paralyze you. It'll send your brain into a tizzy. You'll get the sweats. You'll feel ready to pass out or heart attack. Something might happen if you have to speak. In fact, it's the most second, or it's the top thing people are scared of. Dying is second. It's an unreal uh, thought of what things will do. In my life, it was always throwing anything. <laughs> I had a man, a rocket of an arm, but the aim was wherever. We had a backyard that was probably as big as this platform, and I'll never forget, me and my brother would throw catch in the backyard. For whatever reason, I always stood opposite of the shed. The shed was a big metal tin drum. It would just ring the loudest, and it would just wake the whole neighborhood up. For some reason, my brother had this pinpoint accuracy, man. He was just throwing right in the pocket. But for me, that thing was going wherever. I mean, treehouse. Next time I get it, oh, man, it's going to hit the other tree. So, and then next time, I, oh, there goes the shed. And that's all it took for my dad to come out and start screaming. We had five acres across the street of open field. What are you doing in the backyard? And I thought to myself, this is what life is like, but not on a baseball level, but so many times when we try so hard to do something, eventually when you hear enough times that it's no good, you're not doing it right, you're not throwing right, you're not finding a way to make the right call and the right decision, all of a sudden you become like a lobster. Your brain can no longer contain the thoughts of success. I'm not talking about finances right now. I'm talking about getting loose of addiction. I'm talking about being sold out for God. I'm talking about getting a relationship that your family can say something is different. God is desirous of that in our lives. The posture and the confidence is forever changed. They say that serotonin and octopamine, which somebody can correct me on that la uh, later, those levels are depleted and completely out of the normal range. In other words, it depletes their energy and it causes extreme depression. In our lives, failure does the same. Not getting what we feel God said he would do, not having answers, not seeing miracles, not having things happen in our lives that we feel are promises of God. It's almost like a lobster that's lost a limb. All of a sudden we feel depleted of energy and most of all depressed. When we look at our world, that's the number one selling drug I feel like is finding ways to get rid of depression. Finding ways to just get your, your levels, your serotonin, and your different levels up to where it's supposed to be. So I ask again tonight, have you ever been in a fight and lost some important battle, but now you're depleted and depressed? This is what Isaiah was talking about. He said, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards he more grievously did afflict. Isaiah was prophesying that even though 
you may have been changed from defeat. And even when your energy is gone, you will raise up again. When we read Isaiah 9, we usually go to the sixth verse. And the sixth verse says it simply like this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And it goes on and on and on talking about promise. That's verse 6, but verse 1 says, Nevertheless, I vexed you. And when I tried the first time and it wasn't enough, I vexed you harder. I caused failure for a purpose and for a reason. From Isaiah 9 to Matthew 9, it took 700 years to get from vexing to promise. I don't know if I'm talking to a few. Here's the funny part. God honestly put families and faces in my dreams just last night. He allowed me to see some that I'd be talking to, some that even maybe you're young married, maybe, maybe you've got a few kids that have left church, and he began to show me people. I mean, woke me up showing me people in this church that have been affected as a Zebulun and a Naphtali. You feel so defeated that there's no return, there's no way you're going to show back up and face. The truth is with the lobster, every time that they'd have a battle, they would forever have won over their previous opponent. But the moment they lost, they would never face a previous opponent. It would mess up everything. And my question is tonight, is that where we're at? To where one defeat one time where God or, or the devil has put some cancer in your body or God's allowed you to be touched or whatever the case might be. Have we said, you know what, I'll never go back to a past victory. I'll never remember the time I got over cigarettes because I can't get past this one. So now I can't even face cigarettes. I can't even face the previous battle. But God is trying to tell us that if you'll just hang on through it all, I'll take you back where you're supposed to be. Amen. Capernaum's finest hour is about to come. So the question is, what is it that caused them to endure such vexation? I want you to hear me now. This sounds like I'm rebuking you at first, but I promise I'm not. I'm going to get there. But it's rebellion. Here's how we know that. The word nevertheless at the beginning of chapter 9 ties in chapter 8. Chapter 8 talks about what they dealt with. Chapter 8, it flat out said, why don't you go try the mediums? Why don't you go try the false prophets? Why don't you go try these people? Since that's who you are and you're into witchcraft and you're into rebelling, why don't you try those things since you don't trust? And then verse 9 said, here's your vexation. Here's your issue that you're going to go through. And then he finally gets down to verse 6 and says, there's a promise coming down that dusty road. It's a process. It's a way that he said it. He said it like this specifically, And when you shall say to you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, and to them that mutter, that should not seek people unto their God. For the living to the dead, the law to the testimony, and he goes on and on through verse 19 or 22 of chapter 8, talking about the darkness. The Bible clearly states rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. They were searching for fortune tellers and mediums. Why? Because that's who could tell them something special. It's called divination. 
You'll have to forgive me. I feel like a teacher at heart a lot of times, but rebellion is divination. This is where I want to show you a slight twist on what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily the rebellion we think of. We always think of our young people rebelling against right and wrong. We think of somebody leaving church and they're rebelling, but truly divination is a description of rebellion as well. Divination simply means the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means, and that means it's unbelief. What stops us from our future is unbelief. I can't tell you how, how happy, proud, pleased, thankful that I'm in a church where my pastor preaches faith, his sons, the sons of Aaron, preach faith, the assistant pastor preaches faith. We hear about faith a lot. The reason why, the reason why, because the opposite is a form of rebellion. And so God has allowed our leader to preach faith and to be a man of faith so that I don't get lost in rebellion. So I don't have a heart that doesn't believe. That means tonight, if you fought a battle that you haven't won, you're still waiting on the answer. You're waiting on the miracle. Fine. But don't get lost in unbelief. God still is a healer. God still is a way maker. He's all or everything. He's all powerful. He's magnificent. That's who we serve. Let's just worship him for a moment. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen. Maybe that's where you are tonight. You feel like everything is conquered in your life. There's no fight left in you, but just wait. He's coming to your life. And it just might happen tonight. He's coming with a new name. He's coming with a future so bright and so undeniable. It's who you serve. This is the place where Jesus started his ministry. You see, in the Old Testament, it was called Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the New Testament, it was only known as Capernaum. And if you know anything about Capernaum, you know that's where Jesus called home. That's where his ministry started. Five disciples were pulled from there. Every bit of goodness happened in Capernaum. I'm a short preacher. Music, get ready to go. But I want to say this. God has not brought you from where you are just to leave you. He's not done with you yet. He's not over you yet. And it's not for us to stop where we're supposed to be in him. If you would stand with me. Capernaum is our finest finest hour. Here's what I mean. I, I, I think back over everything I've said so far, so I'm going to slow down for just a minute and try to say this. Ultimately, God has not brought you just to leave you. He has not chosen that he's going to throw you through all of this just so that you can die out in the wilderness. In fact, he took some of his disciples and moving into apostles from revivals to the back of the desert just to save someone. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons, so how much more important are you to him? It also says he sees the sparrow as it flies and as it hits the ground, and he knows the very number of, of hairs on your heads. You matter so much to God. Every bit of you 
want you to just close your eyes with me for just a moment. God is trying his best. He, he, let, 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 me, let me restate that. God is doing everything he's supposed to do. And it's us who have to do the rest. You see, when I, when I think of faith, and I know Brother Herring has even mentioned it, the Bible says that each man is given a measure of faith. But when you want to make a pie, you don't just take a measure of flour and make a pie. You need a measure of eggs. You need a measure of salt. You need a measure of sugars. You need measures. So the purpose of our measure of faith is to blend that with the body of Christ. And for me to pray for you and for you to pray for me and for God to do all the work and edify. Again, God can still heal your need. I don't care if you've had an issue of blood for 12 years. All you have to do is touch the hem of his garment. Doesn't matter if you've been flipped on your back, if you've had limbs ripped from you spiritually, if you feel like I can't ever be who I was, I've lost something. The Bible even talks about that, and he says he'll restore everything to you. He'll restore that which the worms have taken. And I'm telling you, God is bringing us to Capernaum. He's changing the name on who you are. Jesus said it at the very beginning, I am the I am. When he said that, I, again, if you want to just close your eyes, I, don't, I just want you to stay to yourself for just a moment. But when he said, I am the I am, it truly means that everything that we say with the words I am, it's including God. Some people say when you're baptized that now your name has changed. It's no longer Brandon Newcomer, but Brandon Newcomer, Jesus Christ. God is trying to tell you he's changing the name of you and your circumstance. And he's going to change it from a place of vexation, a place where you've been troubled, a place where you've sought so much. And he's trying to get you to change that name to a place where he's going to let his birth happen. A place where he's going to let his ministry start. He's going to cast out demons there. He's going to heal the sick and raise the dead there. He's going to find disciples there. It all comes when the place changes its name. And he fulfills his ministry. So with that I say this. What is it that you don't believe in anymore? What is it that you've lost your faith in that God can do anything? Where did the rebellion start? Where you've fallen out of love with the one that loves us all. They've got a name for that love. It's called agape. It means a love with no end and no bounds. He loves you through it all. He might let us experience something that hurts, but it's for a greater purpose. He loves you through it all. So tonight, whether you need something or whether you're just coming to a place of repentance to say, God, touch my unbelief. I challenge you to find a place and let God begin to work on rebellion. Let God begin to work on divination. Let God begin to work on your belief. God can change the name of your city. Won't you find a place to pray tonight? Won't you seek his face for just a few moments?
Do it for your family. Do it for your future. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That's it. Some are starting to come. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. That's it, guys. Cry out to him, church. Let's just cry out for a moment. If you want to get with your family, if you want to start anew and change something you should have changed long ago, it's time to say we're going to believe again. We're going to have faith again. Thank you, Jesus. Arms wide open.